Well, I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. If we had a resume for Jesus, it would be a long resume, as you can imagine. There is no end to the list of things that Jesus was good at. He created everything. He taught great crowds of people. He went to a funeral and he raised the dead. He catered a party of 20,000 people with a sack lunch. He changed the weather with a word. He healed the blind, the sick, and the deaf. He commanded donkeys and fish, and he walked on water. And so the disciples witnessed all of this. They lived with Jesus for years and saw all that he did. And then they said they had one question. They wanted him to do for them one thing. They wanted him to teach them something. So what did they ask to be taught? Did they ask that Jesus would teach them how to perform a miracle? No. Did they ask that Jesus would teach them how to change the weather? No. Did they ask that Jesus would show them how to raise the dead? No. Their one request was that Jesus would teach them to pray. To pray. And Jesus did. They understood the disciples that prayer is something that you can't learn unless someone teaches you. The disciples certainly were unsatisfied with their prayer life, even though they had seen Jesus pray. That's what motivated the question. The disciples desperately wanted to learn to pray. And the truth is, in churches today, in our church, in these services, many of us are just like those disciples. We have a desire to pray, but if we were honest, we're pretty lousy at it. If you want, somebody has said, if you want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask him to describe his prayer life. And so the situation's not good. Uh, perhaps the thing that is most characteristic of Christians is that we pray. So we need to excel at the skill of praying. The Bible says that to fail to pray is sin, 1 Samuel chapter 12. It's a sin, just like stealing is a sin and adultery is a sin. So why don't we pray more? If, if prayer is so important, why don't we pray more consistently? Why don't we have a better prayer life? Well, I thought about that this week, and I really think there are four reasons that, that people commonly cite for not praying much. If we went around the rooms this morning and we just asked people, tell us what keeps you from praying more than you pray today, I think we would hear four things over and over and over. See if one of these describes you. Number one, I don't have enough time to pray. How many of you would say that? You don't have to raise your hand. This isn't confession. But many people would say, because I've heard you say it, and I have said it myself, I just don't have enough time to pray well. Number two, some people would say, Pastor, I just don't have enough self-discipline to pray. I want to pray. I intend to pray. Sometimes I start to pray, but I get distracted or bored or, or, or something else is going on, and I just don't have enough self-discipline to pray. 
And then some people, excuse number three, I'm just not good at it. Pastor, I've tried it. It's, uh, it doesn't come out very well. It doesn't seem to make a difference in my life or anybody else's life. I'm just not good at prayer. And then the fourth reason, many people would just say, Pastor, I'm not qualified to pray. There's, there's too much sin in my life. If you knew my track record over the last week, you wouldn't be asking me to pray. I'm ashamed to go before the Father. I just can't pray. I'm not good enough. Well, if one of those four reasons is why you don't pray more than you pray, I have very good news for you. First, those commonly cited factors are not the true reason why you don't pray more. The problem is not that you don't have enough time. It's not that you're not very self-disciplined. It's not that you're not gifted at prayer. It's not even that you have sin in your life. Now, sin has something to do with prayer, but probably not in the way that you think. None of those things will keep you from being a man or woman of prayer. The other part of the good news is this. You can pray well. You can be a great prayer warrior, a man or woman of prayer. Every one of you, if you know the Lord, you can excel at this. You have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 11. Let me just read the first two verses. The Bible says he was praying, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus is uh, given this request, teach us to pray. So what does Jesus do? Does he respond by saying, well, that's a dumb question. Prayer is just something you know how to do. Or did he say, if you really love the Lord, you wouldn't have to ask a question like that. Or did he just say, you need to try harder? Or did he say, prayer is only for naturally gifted people? Or did he say, you can't pray because you're some sinful loser? No, Jesus said none of those things. If you look at verse 2, it says, he said to him, whenever you pray, say dot, dot, dot. And so he begins to give some instructions, some steps so that they can pray and they can be people of prayer. He instructs them on how to pray. And so we see these abbreviated instructions in Luke chapter 11. We'll see this expanded in Matthew chapter 6. We'll see some further information in Luke chapter 18. In the next few weeks, I want to show you Jesus' Jesus's instructions for how to pray. And here's what I want us to do, church. I want us to be, I want us to be very methodical. I want us to go through this one small step at a time. I, I've looked back at all of the sermons I've preached on prayer. I've been preaching for 26 years now, 27 years maybe. I've preached a ton of sermons on prayer. And so I was looking at them this week in preparation for this new series. And, and here's the pattern I see. Ordinarily, I would stand before my congregation and I would just dump on them a whole bunch of principles, biblical principles for how to pray. And I'm afraid that all I really did was to take people who felt guilty about their prayer life and make them feel more guilty about their prayer life. So this is a different strategy. 
I want us to go through this one step at a time. I want us to build a prayer life one brick at a time. We're going to go slow. It's going to be simple. And I don't know if it's going to take six weeks or eight weeks or the rest of the summer, but I want us to learn, here's what Jesus said, and for all of us to become men and women of prayer. So we're going to begin today. I'm going to lay the foundation for this. But here's my ask before we start. First of all, I so desire that you become a man or woman of prayer. I'm asking you, don't miss one of these. I mean, we're going to put one little brick in at a time. This is something that you can do. You're not going to fail. The Holy Spirit is going to help. We're going to go slow. But if you leave a brick out of the middle of the wall, then it won't have the integrity that it would have had, the strength that it would have had. So be here. And then every week, let's add one more brick. Don't get ahead. Don't get behind. Every week, step at a time, let's together learn how to pray. So today, I want to give you the foundation. The foundation. What do we need to know before we get started with the steps? Here's the foundation for prayer. Four things. First of all, prayer is a critical skill of the highest value. You have to know that. Prayer is important. It is extremely important. In fact, I don't know of anything better to be better at than prayer. Does that make sense? If you're going to be good at just one thing, be good at prayer. When the disciples went to Jesus, as I said, and had just one request for teaching, just Jesus, teach us one thing they asked to be taught to pray. I was reading this week D.L. Moody, famous preacher about 100 years ago, maybe a little longer here in America, uh, known for his skill as a preacher. Here's what he said, though. I would rather learn how to pray than to preach. He said, before I was a great preacher, I was a great prayer. And that's how that works in every area of life. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says that there are two things that a pastor can do. Someone in my role, a pastor can do to be a blessing to his church. Just two things. Do you know what they are? Number one is to preach, study preach. Number two is to pray. It's just that important. And one of the main prayers I pray for my three daughters is that God would make them women of prayer. This is a critical skill of the highest value. I, I felt this week that, that I really wasn't going to do a good job of, of convincing you of this this morning. So I came over here early Saturday morning for the express purpose of trying to figure out how to convince you that, that prayer is a critical skill of highest value. And so I started to just jot down some things that prayer accomplishes. And once I jotted down two or three, I thought of two or three more, and really this ended up taking my whole morning. It was a lot of fun, and I wanna read it to you. It's a lot, I'm gonna go as fast as I can, but I, I, want you to, I want you to experience a little bit of what I experienced on Saturday morning when I just discovered anew just how critical prayer is. Listen, prayer is primarily how we draw near to God and experience him drawing near to us. Psalm 145, 18. Prayer is primarily how we confess sin and experience the cleansing forgiveness of God. 1 John 1, 9. Prayer is the primary way we express praise and thanksgiving to the Father. Psalm 51, 15. Prayer is the primary way we foster healing in our nation. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Prayer is the, is the primary way we seek 
God's rescue in perilous times. Psalm 119, 170. Prayer is the primary way we seek the face of God. Psalm 27, 7 and 8. Prayer is the primary way we overcome anxiety and worry. Philippians 4, 6. Prayer is the primary way we bring delight to the Lord. Proverbs 15, 8. Prayer is the primary way we solve hard problems. Mark 9, 29. Prayer is the primary way we deal with illness. James 5, 14. Prayer is the primary way we grow in the faith. Jude chapter 20, verse 20. Uh, prayer is the primary way we gain wisdom. James 1, 5. Prayer is the primary way you help the pastor preach well. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Prayer is the primary way you calm, you call down revival from heaven. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Prayer is the primary way you deal with your own complaining hearts. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalms 55, 1 and 2. Prayer is the primary way we experience the mercy and grace of the Father. Hebrews 4, 16. Prayer is the primary way we help loved ones grow stronger in the faith. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10. Prayer is the primary way we find peace that guards our heart from mental and emotional struggles. Philippians 4, 7. Prayer is the primary way we ensure basic necessities in life. Matthew 6, 11. Prayer is the primary way we find contentment in our daily lives. Proverbs 38. Prayer is the primary way we avoid temptation. Matthew 6, 13, prayer is the primary way we're reminded of God's faithfulness. <sighs> Psalm 14, 143, 1, prayer is the primary way we find relief when we're stressed or distressed. Psalm 4, 1, prayer is the primary way we move the hand of God. John 14, 14, prayer is the primary way we experience the strength of Christ in the midst of difficulty and disappointment. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 9, prayer is the primary way we see God do mighty things in our lives. Jeremiah 33, 3, this, this does have an end. Just, just hang, hang with me. Uh, I, I want you to be overwhelmed. Uh, that prayer is the primary way that we help others who are in need. 2 Timothy 2.1. Prayer is the primary way you have a better pastor. 2 Corinthians 1.11. Prayer is the primary way that you go through times of suffering. James 5.13. Prayer is the primary way you help your children and your grandchildren. Matthew 15.22. Prayer is the primary way you affect government policy. 1 Timothy 2.1 and 2. Prayer is the primary way you help fellow Christians who are caught in sin. 1 John 5.16. Prayer is the primary way you support and aid missionaries. Hebrews 13, 19. And I had to stop because our ladies' conference was, uh, was about to begin. Here's, here's the point. Are you convinced prayer is a critical skill of the highest value? In fact, the devil fears nothing but the prayers of Christians. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying he fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. The devil fears prayer. And the Bible even says that prayer, not only is it valuable to us, but it's valuable to God. And in Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says that God keeps our prayers in bowls. Bowls. B-O-W-L-S. You know what that means? Neither do I. But it at least means this, it's pretty important to God because he keeps it. Prayer is a critical skill of the highest value. That's, uh, that's the first part of this foundation. The second part is this, prayer is a craft you learn, not a truth that you discover. I thought about if the four reasons we most often cite, too busy, too distracted, no self-discipline, and so forth, if those are not the reason uh, for our poor prayer life, then what is the reason? And I think chiefly it is this. We believe that a strong prayer life, listen, 
is something that we can discover or it is something that we can decide. Let me, let me tell you what I mean, because many, many people think this. Some people think that you can discover a strong prayer life, that if you hear the perfect sermon or read the perfect book or get the perfect insight, then bang, you're a man or woman of prayer. But that is never how somebody becomes a, a man or woman of prayer. Now, there are many good books, and I hope there are a few good sermons, and we need some information. We need to know the teaching of Jesus. But just discovering some truth will not make you a great prayer warrior. So it's not by discovery, and it's also not by decision. Some people believe that if I feel guilty enough, and I pray hard enough, and I commit myself, then that's the way to become a a great prayer warrior. And so I'll hear people say, Pastor, I've committed that I'm going to pray every single day, 10 times a day. That's my commitment. I'm going to pray an hour a day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we make these big, bold commitments. And we think if I could just make a big enough commitment, a big enough promise, then bang, I'll be a prayer warrior. Neither one of those is true. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know uh, that all of the great prayer sermons or prayer books that you read and all the commitments you make, in the end, do not generally make us better prayers. Uh, in fact, if you go and find somebody that you believe is a strong prayer warrior, it'll probably be an older person, there's a lesson in that that we'll come to, but you find the person that you believe has the strongest prayer life of anybody you know, and you ask them how they got to where they are, I guarantee you they will not say that they discovered something in a sermon or a book. I guarantee you they will not say it all started with this big, bold decision and instantly I was a great prayer warrior. They will not tell you that because prayer is a craft that we learn, not a truth that we that we discover. Let's talk about playing the piano. I don't know anything about playing the piano. We have great keyboard players here in our church and piano and organ and keyboard and, and, uh, and, and, and so many different ways. But let's say that you don't play piano, but you desire to play piano. Now, how can a person learn to play the piano? Can you learn it by discovery? Could you read a book on playing the piano and the book just be so good, so inspirational, so informational that you finish that book and you're just ready to go. You're a maestro on the piano. Is there a book that you can read? Can you just discover great piano playing? No. Well, can you do it by decision? Could you commit enough? Could you say, I'm going to walk up to that piano and I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to put my fingers on some white keys and some black keys and I'm going to press them in such an order that beautiful music comes out. And I'm going to try really, really, really hard. I promise you it'll be beautiful music. Can you become a great pianist by a decision? No. How do you become a great pianist? Well, you learn, you practice, you start with a lesson. You put your hands on the keys and you hold them in a certain way. That's step one. Step two, I don't even know what step two is, but there is another step. And you do step one and step two and step three, and you do a whole lot of practicing. And then one day you're a great pianist. When it comes to prayer, as long as you think that you can just decide to be a great prayer or that you can just discover how to be a great prayer, then you'll always be frustrated. But as soon as you embrace the truth that 
Every Christian, if, if you will look to the instructions of Jesus and you'll go one step at a time over a period of time, if you will embrace that that will lead you to be a great prayer warrior, then that's when you'll begin to make significant progress in your prayer life. Not that you can't pray immediately. Not that you can't, as a brand new Christian, pray. But if you want to have a deep, rich, abiding prayer life, that's not something you discover or decide. That is a craft you have to learn. And that's why we're going to take all of these weeks and we're going to learn the craft. Now, the next part of the foundation, and this is the most important one, prayer is a function of humility. Now, what in the world does that mean? Prayer is a function of humility. Well, you tell me, when have you prayed the most in your life? Or when have you prayed the most intently in your life? Well, you prayed the most when you knew that you were out of other options. When do people pray for their finances? When they're broke, right? Or when they fear they're gonna be broke. When do people pray for their kids? When their kids make bad decisions. That's when you pray for your kids. When do you pray for things at work? Well, when you don't know how to fix them. When do you pray for your health? When the doctor gives you bad news. For most people, prayer is a measure of last resort. Now, let's just be honest. For most of us, we pray, we pray, but urgent, sincere, desperate prayer only happens when we realize we have no other options. I learned this lesson. Well, I continue to have to learn this lesson, but there was a major shift in my life about 10 years ago. I was leading my church in Ohio. Uh, everything was going great. The church was growing. People were uh, being baptized and it was unity. It, things were good. And I prayed. I'm sure I prayed. I know that I prayed. And I don't want you to think I was smug, but I really felt like I knew what I was doing. You know, things would pop up and I'd just handle them. And we'd preach and I'd just handle it. And we'd move forward and we just, we just handled it. And I prayed, but I I really felt like I knew what I was doing until one day I was in a study time in my office and my assistant interrupted me, which she never did, and she handed me a piece of paper. And what had happened is a lady from West Virginia, I think it was West Virginia, had called and had asked to speak with me and it was not anybody that my secretary knew or that I knew. And so my secretary poked her a little bit just to try to find out if this was a real need or if uh, she was just a copy salesperson or something. And uh, so this lady told my secretary exactly what she wanted to tell me. And my secretary wrote it down. She wanted to make sure she got it exactly right. And so she walked in my office and it was so disturbing. She couldn't even say it. She just handed me the piece of paper. And I looked and I read the piece of paper that contained something that had the potential of rocking the city that I lived in and the church that I pastored. And I knew immediately that this was going to be the biggest high wire act, that this was going to be the most difficult thing I'd ever managed and would probably ever manage in my entire life. So what do you think I did? I prayed. 
I prayed. I'm telling you, church, I prayed like I have never prayed before. I begged God for wisdom. I begged God for insight and discernment. I desperately pleaded that God would give clarity and boldness. I prayed more. I'm not exaggerating. I prayed more that day and over the next hundred days that it took to deal with this. I prayed more than I had ever prayed in my life. I learned to pray. I learned to pray, not because I read a book, not because I felt guilty that I wasn't praying, but because I recognized that I was so desperate for the hand of God. I was so desperate for the wisdom of God. That's why I prayed. I was convinced that I didn't have the wisdom, the influence, or the leadership skills. I was humbled. Prayer is a function of our humility. And if you're not praying, here's the lesson I learned. If you're not praying much. It is largely because you think you can handle life all by yourself. If you're not praying for your kids, it's because you think you have enough wisdom and resources to raise your kids without God's help. If you're not praying for wisdom, it's because you think you know it all. If you're not praying, God, give me my daily bread, it's because you think you can give yourself all of your daily bread. Arrogance is the biggest enemy of a strong prayer life. And when we're arrogant, we will not pray. And it's easy. Listen, church, for most of us and the lifestyles that we live, it is easy for us to have lives filled with this hidden arrogance. We live lives where there's just not that much to worry about. I'm not worried about being homeless. There are skilled medical professionals that I can consult all around me. My marriage is healthy. My family is healthy. I love my job. It's easy in the midst of a life like that to begin to be arrogant about what you can control and what you can can do. And when you become arrogant, you will stop praying. The truth is, uh, we're nothing without Christ. Whether you realize or embrace that or not, the truth is our hearts are deceitful, that our sinful nature can carry us to places that we would never have imagined. The truth is we're not in control of anything. The truth is our health, wealth, security, family, happiness, reputation, all of those things are way more fragile than we realize. The truth is none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. The truth is every good thing in our lives has been an undeserved gift from a gracious God. You will pray more when you recognize how dependent, how desperate you are for the wisdom, the protection and the power of God in your life. It's like, a, it's like a seesaw. When your arrogance and your smugness go up, your prayer life will go down. But if you could set aside your smugness and embrace humility, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in a moment, then your prayer life will flourish, will flourish every time. Arrogance is the biggest enemy of a strong prayer life. And then finally, I want to go quickly. Prayer is an expression of faith. How do you, do you believe God? Do you really believe God? How do you express that? By praying. People who don't pray don't really believe that God is all powerful and that God loves us and wants to uh, bless us. But if we really believe that, we will express it in prayer. Why don't Christians, I've wondered this a long time, why don't Christians just have more confidence in the power and the love and the kindness of God. And there are a lot of reasons, and we'll, we'll talk about them as we go through this series. But here's one I want to talk about right now. I think that some well-respected, well-intentioned Bible teachers and authors 
have misled the church on this. I've heard people say, and I hear it more and more, prayer does not, you see if you've heard this, I bet you have. Prayer does not change things, it changes us. Ever heard that? That's the mantra that so many people are teaching today. today. Prayer does not change things, it changes us. And that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Prayer doesn't change things, it's like, yeah, it's spiritual sounding. And, and it's partially true, prayer does change us, but it is, it is completely false. And I want to I take just a moment or two and try to convince you of that, and then we'll wrap this up. There's so much evidence, biblical evidence I could give. But let me start with something that Jesus said. And I'll just read this to you. Matthew 7, starting in 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's pretty clear, right? But just in case you didn't understand, then Jesus gives a in the illustration, he goes on to say, who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven do what? Give good gifts to those who ask for them. You can't believe the words of Jesus. And also believe that prayer doesn't change things, it changes us. Jesus makes it clear. We could go to James chapter 4 verse 2. The writer says, you desire and do not have, you murder, covet, and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war, but you do not have because you do not ask. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite prayer stories in all the Bible is, it's recorded more than once in the Bible, but I I like to look at it in Mark chapter 9. Jesus was away from the, from the main group of disciples for a while. And a father has a son who is possessed by a demon. And he doesn't know what to do, but he hears that Jesus is in town. And so he takes his son and he's searching for Jesus. He gets to the disciples. Jesus is away. But the disciples say, we've seen Jesus do this a bunch of times. We can help your son. And he says, okay. And let's do it. And the disciples, they do their little thing. And guess what? Nothing happens. And so the disciples are looking at the dad. The dad's looking at the disciples. Pretty embarrassing moment. But thankfully, Jesus shows up. That's a, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> Has that been true in your life? Thankfully, Jesus shows up. And so Jesus takes care of the problem. It's all done. And the boy is, is good. The demon is gone. But then... The disciples pulled Jesus aside. And I will read to you a verse, uh, Mark 9, 28. The disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive it out? The disciples said, you know, we did everything that you did. We did everything we needed to do. We tried hard. And here's Jesus' reply. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Now, there's a bunch of stuff we could teach about that verse But here's what I want you to see today. When we pray, God hears, and a loving God does something that matters in our lives. And if we believe that, we will express that with prayer. We'll express it with prayer. 
Belief and faith are always expressed in prayer. You can't say you believe God if prayer is absent in your, in your life. So here's how I want to close. I want to ask a question and I want to give you an assignment. The question is this. Uh, are you on praying grounds? Uh, years ago, I, I uh, would use this to teach my church how to, how to share the gospel with people. Somebody comes up to you at work and says, my aunt is sick, will you pray for her? We would say, well, ask them, are you on praying grounds? And they'll say, well, I have no idea what that is. And you can say, well, neither do I, I made it up. But the truth is, if you know Christ, you can pray too. I'm glad to pray for you, but you can pray. Here's my question for you. Are you on praying ground? Can you pray? Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins so that you can go to the Father and pray. Who are the people who can pray? Those people who have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and who have surrendered their life to him and made him their master and their Lord, those are the people who can pray. Are you on praying ground? The most important thing that can happen in these next few moments is that somebody would step forward in a service and talk to a minister at the front and say, I want to be a person who can pray because I believe in Jesus and I believe in what he's done and I want to honor him with my life so I surrender to him today so I can be on praying ground. Today is the day that could be the beginning of your prayer life with God in a powerful way. And so if that's you, I pray that you will respond. But let me give you a quick assignment. For those that know Christ as their Savior, uh, how do you lay the first brick here? Well, I want you to say to the Lord this week, Lord, teach me to pray. Say the same thing the disciples said, teach me to pray, teach me to pray. You're not going to discover this. You're not going to decide this. You have to be taught this. So, so ask him, teach me to pray, teach me to pray. They asked it, we should ask it. And then meditate on one verse. And I hope you'll jot this down somewhere so you won't forget it. I'll show it to you on the screen. James chapter 4 verse 14. This is a verse I want you to spend time on. This verse doesn't even talk about prayer, but I promise you this is the first step to lay the foundation to becoming a man or woman of prayer. Here's how the verse reads. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You spend some time every day reading that verse and thinking about it. It says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Well, think about, what does that mean? You will not know what will happen tomorrow, right? You don't know what's going to happen in your health. You don't know what's going to happen at your workplace. You don't know what's going to happen with your wife or your husband or your kids. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know anything about tomorrow. And if you'll spend time just thinking about that, making a mental list of all the things you don't know about tomorrow, at the end of that five minutes or 10 minutes, I promise you, you will be in a tizzy. Oh no, tomorrow is coming. And then look at the next phrase. It says what your life will be. You don't know how you're going to respond to it. You don't know if you're going to lose your temper. You don't know if you're going to run to the Lord or, or, or you don't know if you're going to run away from the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Think about that. And then it says that your life is a vapor. Think about that. You know, so many people through the years, billions of people have just gone with the flow of history and their life has been but a vapor blown here and there. And your life is just a vapor. And if you spend time every day, I'm giving you a promise from your pastor and you meditate on this, it will create the humility that'll drive you to your knees. This 
is where it begins if you want to be a man or woman of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you that because of the blood of Christ, we can come and pray. But Father, we don't pray well. We don't pray often. We don't pray like we're humble and we don't pray like we believe. But I pray that you will make us people of prayer and it'll start right here with our humility. Seal this truth on our hearts and help us to walk faithfully with you this week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.